What happens when two parent coaches, one a Christian and the other an agnostic Jew, sit down to talk about parenting? They take their listeners from surviving to thriving. I'm Dina Thayer. And I'm Kira Dorian. Welcome to Raising Adults, a podcast brought to you by Future Focused Parenting. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Raising Adults podcast. Kira here in the laundry room. Dina there in her bonus room. (laughs) And uh, we're just so happy to have you back with us. Thank you to all of our loyal listeners who are tuning in every week, even amongst the crazy. And um, if you're new to the laundry room and the bonus room, welcome. Normally, we just welcome you to the laundry room. But because Dina and I are recording remotely due to the COVID crisis, we welcome you to both the laundry room and her bonus room. Um, and if you're new and you haven't heard yet, uh, we just let our listeners know right now at the beginning of every episode that because things are sort of upside down and totally bananas, we are recording at home with our families in full tact. And so you just might hear some family noises. You might hear delightful peals of laughter from my tiny people. You might hear the grumblings of teens in the background <laughs> at Dina's house or happy teens. I don't know. Um, so yeah, if you're new, it's not normally like this, but obviously we're all just kind of doing the best we can. And this is how we can continue to bring you content. So welcome. Dina, how are you this week? Hang it in there. I think in terms of living at home in kind of a, a little bit of a quarantine situation, we're getting pretty used to that and getting more in a routine there. But I am still finding, and I'm sure this is the case for many of our listeners, so I think I'm in good company here, but I'm finding that still mentally or emotionally, it's very day by day. Some days I'm like, this is going to be fine. We're going to get through it. And other days I'm like, this stinks and I'm down in the dumps. And so I feel like we've hit our stride in terms of what it looks like, but not in terms of how I feel. Sometimes it's hour by hour. Yeah, I think that's so true and so human and so normal. I mean, I feel like the pattern I've seen is that people have, you know, there was this initial like, uh, and everyone just kind of ate Oreo cookies and (laughs) curled up and just was like, okay, I don't even know what's happening. And I feel like I'm starting to see like, or see, I guess I'm not seeing anything, but I'm hearing that the people around me, and I would say I'm experiencing this too, people are starting to find that stride and figure out their new normal and, you know, are getting, getting geared up for, okay, this is, this is how we got to do it for a little while and figuring out what works and what doesn't. So hopefully listener, that's you as well. Hopefully you found your found your stride. Hope so. Yeah. So today we are going to talk about a very important and interesting topic that came up because a friend of mine actually asked me this question. She was like, hey, you're a parent coach. Can I run this by you? Um, and it happened because my family does, I think I've mentioned this on the show before, but my family does a birthday song every year where we like create a, a totally original birthday song. Oftentimes we'll steal a tune and rewrite the lyrics. And Dave and I have been doing it for, I don't know, since we've been together. So like 18 years. Um, and last year was the first year that the kids got involved. And this year, uh, my daughter chose not to be a part of it. And that's what prompted my friend's question. And she was like, I'm just so curious, like, how do you decide when you need to be like propelling your kids forward and pushing them and encouraging them to like be diligent and work hard and persevere? And when is it okay to be like, cool, you don't want to do that? That's cool. And I thought it was such a fantastic question. So I called Dina and I was like, we have an episode to do. (laughs) Um, So I think that's kind of what we want to talk about today is like, how, how do you as a parent figure out? 
when to really lean in and maybe lean in a little harder and when to really back off and let go. And that's a tricky thing, don't you think? I do. And I think there's kind of two pieces to this too, because it's how do you make the decisions on the front end of, you know, what are you going to require in your household in terms of activities or family participation in certain things? So deciding that on the front end is kind of one piece, but then also there's this element of how do you know when to deviate from that and say, you know what, initially I had thought, you know, everyone's going to learn an instrument, but that's really making this particular child miserable. And how do you know when to back off from those things. So it's, it's kind of two pieces because I think there's, it's okay for families to have family identity and things that are really important to them or things that they just view that are important to the whole health of their child and to say, hey, we're going to require these things or in our family, we all do a sport or whatever it is. I, I mean, we can get into the nuts and bolts in a minute, but I kind of think there's more than one piece to this because it's also then knowing your child and knowing, oh, when has this gone too far and I need to let go of my vision of this is something we all do as a family. I mean, there's, it's really interesting because I do think just like we always talk about with being future focused, I do think just going willy nilly isn't really the answer. I do think it's actually wise and fine for families to say, here are some things I really want my children to be involved in or how I want their attitude to be about participation. That's good to think about in advance, but we also have to know when it's time to maybe let that go by the wayside. Does that make sense? Oh, completely. I mean, I think it's such a multifaceted question and and it shows up in so many different aspects because I think activities come to mind immediately, right? But there's all these other areas that, you know, when do you push your kid and when do you let let them hang back? When do you, you know, push them maybe we talked about assertiveness, like how do you know when to push forward and when to back off and it is really a, a know your child and know thyself. And I think immediately what came to my mind when she asked was the value system that we talk about all the time. Like it starts with that why. It starts with those values. When you have a pretty clear idea about what your family values are, then it's like, does it match the value, right? Is it, is it undermining a family value? Well, there's your answer. I mean, that's the simple, that's way too simple and we're going to have to dive deeper. But if it undermines a family value, that's pretty crystal clear that we got to lean into that, right? Because yeah. that's, that's not okay. We're not going to sacrifice our values for the sake of you know, your whims. At the same time, sometimes those values conflict, right? And so in in supporting one value, you might be diminishing the other value. (laughs) So it's all very complicated. No, that actually is, I'm really glad you said that. It's a pretty great segue into my why around this, because for me, it was about hierarchy of values and understanding that sometimes we may have to sacrifice one of our family values so that another one can win. And there may even be a value that's really intangible and maybe not on our list when we've talked about that values list that needs to win. And and one that I'm kind of thinking of here overall is I really care that my children are emotionally well and mentally well, and and we don't have that as a value on, on our list. But I would say if my encouragement of, say, perseverance is causing my child to be emotionally unhealthy, I'm going to pick their emotional health every time. So this is really, and and it's really cogent for me as our listeners will hear in a moment, because I literally dealt with this kind of recently with one of my children. And so it did have to become about what wins. And and is there actually, because often there is a way to still uphold those values while caring about the person and letting that win. And so I think there is really a hierarchy here. And that was my why is really honoring that there's a hierarchy. And sometimes we pick a higher value 
and and understand again with those decisions, we may say a really good yes to something and it means we're saying a no over here and getting okay with that. Yeah, I love that. I think my why was really, really attached to one of our values, which was courage. And, you know, part of how we define courage is that fear is allowed in the car, but it's never allowed to drive. And that's kind of been how we've how this has guided our decision making thus far. I mean, again, we have eight year olds, but the times that it's come up, it's really been about is this because my kiddo is letting fear drive? then I need to help them push through that because we don't let fear drive. But we recognize that oftentimes it's in the car (laughs) and we can't be afraid of it being in the car. Like we actually have to go, it makes sense that you're in the car. And I was saying to my friend when she asked that, you know, I think I think oftentimes as parents, we forget to tell our kids that fear is a really normal feeling and that it's not, a you know, we don't want to say this is why you and I encourage parents not to say don't be afraid. We're not trying to get rid of the fear. So if you're, for example, scared to, you know, your kiddo's scared to ride a bike and the question is like, well, do I push? Like they need to learn how to ride a bike, right? (laughs) But they're really afraid. Then it's really about helping the child recognize that the fear probably isn't going to go away right away. So how can we hold on to that and go, I'm going to hold this fear and I'm going to do it anyway because fears in the car, but I'm not going to let it drive. And so that's been a lot of our decision making is has been around around that. And, you know, with my daughter and the the birthday song, it wasn't really a fear based decision. It was really about her putting up a boundary about how exposed she is out in the world. And that felt really reasonable to me um, because it wasn't a question of fear driving her. So I would say that, like, again, coming back to that value, that was my why. And I've kind of bled into my how here. So I'll just go ahead and throw out my other how (laughs) while I'm at it, which is that um, I think aside putting like the the courage and the fear place to the side, the other question that we often ask ourselves is, is it going to matter in 20 years? It's that future focus, that raising adult. You know, will it matter that my child doesn't know how to ride a bike? Yeah, it actually will. I can tell you that because I don't know how to ride one. Um, Why don't I know how to ride one, you ask? Well, I was scared of it and my parents didn't push me to do it. So that's a great example of like, I'm an almost 40-year-old woman who has no idea how to ride a bike and it scares me, which is wild, right? So, you know, in the future, is it going to matter? But in the future, is it going to matter that my daughter didn't participate in the birthday song? No, it sure isn't. Now, would I have allowed her to not sign a card or wish someone a happy birthday? No, because that would undermine our value system of how we treat other people. But in terms of not participating in this random weird thing that our family does, because it it was sort of undermining her sense of boundaries, that felt really good for me to go, mm. yep, that's totally fine. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. I love the, that thought process. That's excellent. And I had no idea you didn't know how to ride a bike. So here I am still learning things about you after all these years. <laughs> it's not like generally public knowledge. I guess it is now, but <laughs> it's pretty interesting and it's amazing how how huge an impact that has had. Like we go to, you know, places in England where it's bikes only. There's no cars. Oh. And I am I dread it every time because I'm like, oh my gosh, people are gonna like, I'm gonna be so outed and so humiliated that I'm like, you know, I I get the tricycle. They have tricycles, Tina. <laughs> for grown-ups and I get that one. Oh, heavens. I had no idea. (laughs) It's really bad. So please, parents, I beg of you, please make your child learn how to ride a bike. But I will say, and then I'm going to shut up because I've been talking for a long time, but I will say my parent, it was interesting. I feel like my parents pushed me in all the wrong ways. So like they didn't push me to learn to ride a bike. I quit every instrument I ever tried. 
Um, and I think they just didn't want to fight with me, which I get. I was a very, it's going to shock you. I was a very verbose no and way. passionate child. Yeah. I could put up a pretty good fight. <laughs> so I think they just gave up. But then my dad pushed me in a lot of areas where I think I actually ended up learning to doubt my instincts and doubt myself because there were things I just didn't want to do and he'd be really pushy about it. And so now I think there's a second guessing that I do that that comes from there. Um, so it, it to me, this is a really important topic. Like, how do we make sure that our kids find their own voice, set their own boundaries, aren't afraid to go, no, that doesn't feel good to me, or I'm not interested in that. But then how do we make sure they know how to ride a bike? <laughs> you know, like right. there's, some, there's some things here that, that are really life essentials and adult essentials, and we must make sure they have those, even if they're afraid. So, okay, now you talk, please, because I have said, en- I have said enough. You've never said enough. I I always love hearing from you. And now I'm picturing you on a tricycle. It's delightful. So (laughs) it's a big, I want to be clear. It's not like the the little toddler, you know, sit down ones. It's like, it looks like a bike, but it just has two, two wheels at the back, you know, across instead of one. (laughs) You have still provided smile of the day. I'm I'm sorry, but you're still responsible for bringing me some joy today. Totally fair. So here is my framework. And then what I'm going to do is, because I have permission from the child that this happened with, I'm going to use that to walk through the framework. So the three things that I think about when I'm deciding where is it worth encouraging that tenacity, that perseverance versus do I let this go? Here are the three things. The first, you kind of mentioned this, I look at this too, is time impact. But I'm looking at it as in terms of are these transient, angsty teen feelings, because I've got teenagers, or are they truly distraught over this and it's having like a true mental health impact? So if it's transient feelings, like I'm just nervous to try it, or I don't think I'll have any friends, or it doesn't sound fun to me, or whatever, and that's probably going to pass once we're in it, to me, that would be worth a little bit of encouragement and pushing. If I see true mental health impact, it's starting to maybe impact schoolwork, they're truly miserable, now we're fighting all the time, and there's a relational fallout, that's going to weigh heavily on the side of maybe we let this one go. A second would be the impact to their future. Sometimes, like you just described, there is a skill they need to learn or an activity they need to do to be able to get along in the world. And those, to me, are worth doing a little bit of pushing. If the impact to the future is nominal or non-existent, I'm going to lean more toward, "Mm, you know, maybe that one isn't a huge deal. And then the third thing, is there something comparable that accomplishes the same thing? If there is, I'm going to lean toward letting that one go. If there's not, if this is truly the only way to do that, then I'm probably going to want to push through that. So let me give the example that happened in our in our life recently. We have always really wanted to encourage kind of this well-rounded approach to the whole person when we were looking at our children, that they're healthy physically, mentally, emotionally, but also in terms of their activities. And this is just an easy example, but we always wanted them to be participating in something to do with the arts. So whether that was visual art, theater, music, an instrument, something like that, and a sport. So we just always said, you'll just do both. We don't do a million activities, but we always had one of each of those. And once 
my, one of my children entered high school, there was real pushback on the athletic side. Like, I really don't want to do an organized sport. I'm happy. I'm happy to still stay in shape, but I really don't want to do a sport. And then also it was really around this one particular sport. It was like, no, thank you. Not a fan. And the interesting thing is this child had done that sport already for several years. It was like comfortable. They were good at it. They'd broken some records. And so it just seemed easy to say, you know what? No, that's, that's what we do in our house. Once you're, once you're in college, of course you pick your activities, but through high school, we do a sport and we do an art thing. And it really became pretty contentious. And this child did do the sport their freshman year. And I actually did end up letting it go in the sophomore year. And so I'll tell you how I did that with this framework. The first one was the, are these transient feelings versus a true impact? And at first, I'm going to be honest, I, I was kind of thinking it was just normal teen angst, nervous about, you know, that jump from middle school to high school. Will I know anyone on the team? What if what was really good and record-breaking in middle school isn't good in high school and I'm actually not great at it? A lot of those fears seemed really normal to me and worth pushing through. But what actually ended up happening is then relationally, we were struggling. We were arguing almost every time the topic came up and I wasn't willing to sacrifice the relationship, but I also really saw this child kind of go down, down in the dumps once that sports season was really around the corner. And that seemed to me not, not okay. Like there's, there's going to be a bigger issue here. There was even, you know, not sleeping as well, kind of worrying as it approached. And what, what helped me there also is that this child had already tried it. It wasn't like sight unseen, I just vote no. They'd tried it in high school, in that setting, and really had had tried it and said, you know, that's not for me. And to me, that's also very different than, than a kid just vetoing something in advance without giving it a fair shake. And so based on number one, I saw true impact. So I was leaning toward letting it go based on that. Then we have number two, impact to the future. Well, not surprising to those of you who've listened to me for any length of time, I'm a planner. So I'm also (laughs) thinking about like the college application and you'll need to also have a sport on there. That will look good. And so I was really fretting about the impact of the future. But when I really thought about it, whether you do a high school sport is that really going to impact your life and your career? Well, not unless you're intending to be a professional athlete. So right. I really so I really had to like check myself about the impact of the future piece. Might it be a detriment on an application? Maybe. But in your real long-term life, is the fact that you didn't do a high school organized sport going to be a problem? I had to be honest and say no. Right. And then the third piece was that, is there something comparable that accomplishes it? And this child actually is super active in other activities. And those can look great on a college application. And they also even provide some physical exercise. And this child was very willing to like, I'll join a gym, I'll stay in shape other ways. This just isn't a fit for me. And so I think I would have felt differently if this was the only way to accomplish it. But a structured team sport through a school isn't the only way to accomplish right. it. And so based on those three things, we let it go. And and it was challenging because it had been a requirement. And and for a long-standing requirement. And so it just felt hard. And it, it was it was really a rough patch, you know, for me and my child too. And that that was a bummer. I'm not gonna lie, it was like it, this is all simplistic, told the story in three minutes, but it was brutal. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think ultimately it was the right thing. And we are much happier as a result. So that's how I used that framework to walk through that, just as an example. And I love that. I mean, this is the thing is like, what? here's what I love about everything you just said. Number one, it's so raw and real, right? 
We are parent coaches who still sometimes go, I don't really know <laughs> what I'm supposed to be doing here. <laughs> Amen. Right? And, and, I'm, and I, the dialoguing with your child and the, the thoughtfulness and the future-focused mentality and not being afraid to course correct and also not being afraid to use that hierarchy. I mean, I think that's really smart. It's, we sometimes can't do everything. And we have to look at what matters most, what matters most to me right now. Um, and I think that, you know, the way that you came up about that is is great. And it stinks that you had that rough patch Ugh. to get there. But how great that ultimately that child felt seen and heard. Mm-hmm. That even if you had to grapple to get there, I would hope that that child, when they grow up, is going to – that's going to have a positive impact on your relationship that ultimately you saw what they needed and leaned into what they needed emotionally and mentally above all else, the end. Um, and I think that's really important. It also makes me think because I love, and we do the same, you know, a, an arts thing and a physical thing. And I think, as you said at the top of the show, like it's so important as, as families to know that it's okay to have requirements. I mean, we talk about that all the time, right? It's okay to require that your kids do chores. It's okay to yes. require that they're respectful. Like, you know, it's okay to have requirements. The secret is to make sure that you don't have too many because then when you come down on a requirement, it also doesn't feel like oh, another restriction, another boundary, right? It's that idea of like carefully placed boundaries, you know, carefully placed requirements. And that's kind of how I like to think about it too. Like even by saying, yeah, sure, it's cool. You don't have to do the birthday song. It's like I'm giving her something so that later when I do have a requirement, at least she's going to feel like, you know, there are times where I am seen and heard and and my mom and my dad recognize that that's what I need. And if this is one of those times that's different, there's probably a reason why. Instead of like, they never listen. They never give me what I want. They never, you know what I mean? All they ever do is push. That's the difference, right? Is that you you want kids to recognize that you are being thoughtful about what they're saying to you. Their opinion matters. It's welcomed. It doesn't mean you're going to say yes every time. But if you make sure that you do say yes sometimes, then they are going to know that that is valuable, right? That their voice matters. And Absolutely. finding that balance is really important. Oh, it's that is so well said. And I love that because we've got to strike. This is one where we've got to not strike a balance. It shouldn't be the same amount of times that I push or the same amount of times I let go. I think we actually want to err on more times giving them the voice yeah. so yeah. that when we say on this one, I've got to be firm, they recognize that, wow, they only do that when they really need to or when it really matters. So I love that. I have actually used this um, at Christmas time. So I have never, ever required that my kids wear anything. It's like you dress, you dress how you want to dress. I really don't care. <laughs> right. Like feel good about yourselves. So the few times that like Santa photos or whatever, that I've been like, I really need you to like wear tights and a dress today. Or I really need you to wear like a cute sweater and some slacks, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they're like, oh, I don't want to. And all I have to say is, you know what? I actually so rarely ask you to wear something. Could you just this one time do that for me? And they're always like, yep. You're right. My son says, you make a good point. That's his current phrase when he agrees with me. You make a good point, mom. <laughs> you know, but, but it is that thing of like when they feel, I think you're right, when they feel like most of the time they can share with you what they're thinking and feeling and you're going to honor that in a way that feels good to them, then those few times that you have to be like, you know what, this is one area where we have to push through, they might not like it, but they're going to be more understanding and more respectful of it. Yes. Yes. And yes, a thousand times, yes. 
we require piano in our house. That's like a non-negotiable. And um, I think I've mentioned on the show that it, it was a disaster at the start. It's so much better now, <laughs> thankfully. Um, but it was, it was that conversation of like, this is, we have never made anything non-negotiable for you before, ever, ever, ever before. And this is the first time that we're coming in and saying, this is not negotiable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you you just have to do it. We really, we can see the trajectory of life that you're on. And we think that this is going to help you in adulthood. So you have to do it. But just know that everything else is up for discussion and debate. All your other activities are open for discussion. This one's not. And, you know, they don't, there are times they don't love it. But I, I really, truly believe not only that they're going to grow up and be like, I'm so grateful you made me do piano <laughs> as like every adult who plays piano has ever said to their mom. Um, but not just that, I also think that, you know, it it will be buffered by those times that we're like, yeah, okay, I get that. You don't want to do that anymore. Yeah. That's cool. Let's find a different one, you know, that you like better or you want to try. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they're learning that diligence with the non-negotiable, right? They're still getting that tenacity and that diligence through this one piece. And then I get to give them a voice in these other areas. Yes. Well, I talked for a long time, so I only want to say two quick piggybacks off of that. And I do have a quote today, too. But one is, I just love, love, love that you have been able to say this is our only non-negotiable so far, but that you did say it's the first time. I love that because it was like, well, it probably won't be the last, but this is the first time (laughs) we're requiring this. But what it made me think of was there one thing I wanted to say was just that there also might be families who have requirements, but they're for a limited time. So mm-hmm. like in our family, we were required to take piano for five years and then we could decide whether to continue or not. But it was you will do it for five years. And I had something similar in the situation with my child and the sport is I said, I want you to try it in high school. And then I'm going to feel very differently if it's truly not a fit. But I want you to give it a chance that you might try it and then actually like it. You need to leave room for that. And I think that's actually a good life lesson. Sometimes we try something and find out, oh, I actually really enjoyed that. I wish I'm glad I didn't just veto it in advance. Right. So I think it's important for families to realize, as as Kira and I say all the time, you know, this is going to look different family by family. It might be a generic indefinite requirement. It might be, oh, for a certain time. It might be we require you to try three instruments, but there's not a time limit. It might be a sport, but only one season out of the year. I mean, this is going to look different for everybody, but you might have requirements kind of within that, like piano for five years with my parents or me saying to my child, I I need you to at least try this before we make that final decision about whether we're letting go of this athletic requirement, you know, those kind of things. So just worth thinking about that you can tailor that to make it work for your family. Well, and and can I I just say one thing? So the other thing that I, I want to say about that that I love is that you also, as a parent, don't have to make a definitive decision right now. No. You can also say, well, I'd like you to try it for this, and then we're going to discuss. Or, you know, I don't really know if this is going to be a non-negotiable or not. So here's what is non-negotiable right now, right, to to set them up for this might actually be an ongoing conversation, and that's okay. And then you don't have to sort of make a decision without information either. You can maybe lean lean toward what feels good right now, but also let them know that, you know, this could become open for discussion. Let's not let's not close the door on that discussion altogether. Yeah. For now, we are doing piano. We'll talk later. I mean, that can be a thing. Yeah, exactly. That that, absolutely. And then another piece of this is I and I'm speaking personally here, so I'm just going to admit it. I don't know how many other parents will resonate with this. But the other thing that was hard for me in this decision and I think might be hard for parents as they learn to let their children make decisions big and small about whatever is we have this instinct or at least I did to protect them from regret 
that, oh, you'll decide not to do it and then really regret it. And then you really can't get back into as good of shape to be competitive at that level. And, and to let them start owning those decisions, even if the decision turns out to be a mistake. And I think that's hard too. So I, I just want to give that encouragement that, hey, I'm with you if you've ever worried about your child regretting a mistake or regretting a choice they make that you wish they'd made a different one. Well, maybe you're the one having regrets and not them. <laughs> but, but but all that to say, even if they end up having regrets, that's theirs to own and it's not ours. And so there's, yeah, there's a lot here. It's uh, it's such an interesting point. I had this just with one of my kiddos the other day where I was I was realizing that I was I was projecting my stuff onto them and I was, you know, that something had happened in my childhood and I was trying to protect them from having the same experience. And I even said to my kiddo, I was like, you know what I'm realizing is that I can't protect you from this experience. You have to have it for yourself and learn that lesson for yourself. And that's actually a better use of my time as your parent is to be okay with you having that experience. And that's hard. I mean, that's that's really hard stuff, you know, to watch our kids fall down. But we talk all the time about how we have to, right? We yeah. have to. That's how we give them the tools to know how to pick themselves up and move forward. Exactly right. Yeah. yeah well said. You know, before before we get your quote, I have to say, like, it, it's been an interesting topic, even for just right now with homeschooling, you know, and having to look at this hierarchy of of values and and when to push and when not to push because I I realized you know I've been really struggling with this at home I have one kiddo who kind of thinks like I do and is pretty easy to teach and then one kiddo who just thinks differently and we just butt heads and my fear as a future focused parent was like you know if I just let stuff go they're going to lose their diligence and they're going to lose their tenacity and their perseverance and you know all this stuff and they're just going to get in the habit of going oh I don't want to do that so I just won't do that but ultimately I had to look at what you said at the top of the show their mental well being our relationship for right now, like how do how healthy mentally do they need to be when we come out the other side of all this? And that really helped. It was like, you know what? That's actually more important. I can I can pick up the diligence later. I can I can reteach that. I cannot fix the mental health as easily or the or mend the relationship as easily. Yes. So. Yeah. Those things are a lot a lot harder to untangle if they get to be messy. That's for sure. All right. So I, I do have a quote today. It's not attributed to anyone, but it's pretty much exactly what we're talking about. And I just want to share this, this section of this. It's kind of a long paragraph. So I'm just going to share a section and please hear this first part about being a good parent. You're a good parent. If you do these things, these things are hard. Being a good parent requires knowing when to push and when to back off, when to help and when to let them make mistakes. So true. And it makes you a good parent. Did you hear that? You're a good parent. (laughs) If you you learn how to strike that balance, even some of the time, you're doing great. That's right. I mean, just by listening to parenting podcasts, you're a good parent because you want to be a good parent. Just by wanting to be a good parent, you are a good parent. That's right. (laughs) You know what I mean? Because you care. Because you care. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Well, listeners, we have a little treat for you. We're going to finish out today's show with the Dorian annual birthday song. It's brand new. And it's COVID appropriate. It was recorded specifically for those whose birthdays are during the COVID season. So if you are a friend or family member of the Dorians and you are on our birthday list, I'm going to say turn it off (laughs) so that you don't ruin your birthday song this year. But for those listening that are not friends or family on that list, we give you our annual birthday song.
though we find ourselves in times of trouble, today's the day we think of thee. Singing happy birthday separately. And in this hour of darkness, we are celebrating distantly. Singing happy birthday separately. Separately, 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 separately. Singing happy birthday separately. And when the socially distant people living in the world convene, there will be a party virtually. For though we all are parted, we all still have Zoom so we can see, see and celebrate you separately. Separately, 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 separately. You can still have cake though, Sara Lee. Sara Lee, Sara Lee, separately, separately. Singing happy birthday, separately. Raising Adults is produced by Kira Dorian and Dina Thayer and recorded partially in my laundry room, partially in Dina's bonus room. Music by Seattle band Hannah Lee. Thanks for listening. <laughs>